Welcome back to Water Flying. On today's episode, we are joined by Phil Lockwood, developer of the AirCam, the ultimate aerial camera platform. Phil is also the chairman of the board for the Seaplane Pilots Association. Stay tuned. You're listening to Water Flying, a weekly podcast to bring you all things seaplanes. I'm Steve McCoy, the Executive Director of the Seaplane Pilots Association. And I'm Abby Kellett, Assistant to the Executive Director at the Seaplane Pilots Association, and I'm also a flight instructor in seaplanes. The Seaplane Pilots Association is committed to protecting and promoting water flying. We achieve this by working to maintain and expand waterway access. We promote seaplane safety, create educational programs, produce the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community, and we create exciting seaplane events. We want to continue to improve this podcast, and we encourage your feedback. Feel free to reach out to us if there is anything you would like to hear in future episodes. So thanks for listening. Let's jump right in. Well, today we are joined by my good friend, Mr. Phil Lockwood. Phil is the chairman of the board of the Seaplane Pilots Association, as well as the chairman of the board of the Seaplane Foundation. We are incredibly proud to have the strongest board we've ever had here at the Seaplane Pilots Association. And it's a great honor to welcome you, our chairman, onto the show. So, Phil, thank you for taking time for us today. Hello, Steve and Abby. Great to be with both of you today. And it's always great having a guest actually in the office. So thank you for flying up from Sebring. Really appreciate it oh, on sure. a Saturday. Well, it was a uh, beautiful weather this morning. So it was, it was a great time to fly. And I get to fly in an hour. I'm pretty excited. So going from the podcast to actually going to fly a seaplane. It's just great. <laughs> it's all great good. way to start a Saturday. So I think the last time we saw you, the last time I saw you was at Oshkosh. So good to see you again. Yeah. That yeah. was a fun show. It was. It was a great show. Uh, I think a, a big part of... Um, uh, of aviation and trying to recover from covid uh it was like a double show in one the attendance was awesome it was it yeah was. it was an amazing show for us uh getting back after a year away but great membership results as we've talked about before on the podcast uh great show great attendance great bunch of volunteers which make it all possible both for the seaplane pilots association and for eaa for all of us who enjoy the show so uh yeah it was good to be back and it was great to have you supporting us. You know, you got to see the team and we're all so proud of the volunteers. I just, I had a really good team. Steve saw that too. So very, very proud. Um, so starting off with you, Phil, let's go into some of your background, you know, how you ended up on this journey from, you know, you started off in boats until you got that first seaplane ride and then eventually working your way through the drifter, the air cam to your position as SPA chairman. So why don't you take us through some of that? Sure. Well, as a kid growing up uh, in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York, the Erie Canal was a, just at the bottom of my street. So I could just, uh, just a few minutes down the street, and there was the park and the Erie Canal, and we had a lock in our town and uh, a great marina. And so I hung out at the marina all the time. I just fell in love with boats in the water. And um, Dad bought a boat, and, and uh, I was on the water all summer. Uh, I remember one summer... I put 500 hours on my dad's boat in two New wow. York summers, right? So, and that, those are short seasons. So that tells you how much time I spent on the water. And then, uh, as, uh, as I needed to make money, I started working at the Marina in high school and through college. Uh, so yeah, that was my introduction to the water. 
Uh, and then my introduction to flying actually came in a seaplane. So my first flight on a small airplane was a seaplane. Um, we were on vacation in the Adirondack Mountains, and Dad asked my brothers and I if we'd like to go for a flight in a seaplane. Of course, we said yes. And uh, so I think it was Bird's uh, service came over in what was probably a 206 on floats, and um, I was lucky enough to sit in the front right seat, six six of us on board, including the pilot. And uh, I just, I was amazed as, as I saw him push the throttle forward and saw the nose come up and then the planes, the uh, the floats planed up onto the step. And I was watching all this and, and then I uh, saw him rotate and we lifted off and it was just the coolest thing to see that. Uh, it's like you go from, from water to, to water and flying. It's, it's a whole other dimension, a combination that's hard to beat. You having so much experience on the water, that just must have been, I mean, because you saw the similarities, you know, you get up on plow, you get onto the step, and then obviously that extra step of we're flying now, we have left the water. Yeah, because I mean, even I was running all different types of boats and and even water skiing and even barefoot water skiing back then. And so I, I, you know, you get to understand the water and how it works and to see those floats come up on the plane and then how the step worked. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. So that kind of that kind of launched me into a, an interest in combining aviation and, and, and the water. I like, go oh, go ahead. No, I said, I, I like the fact that at that age you were queuing into the nuances of flying floats and that you were watching the step transition and the pilot inputs to that, you know, to do that at that age. Um, it says a lot about how deep of personality are and where your brain is and where you're thinking um, which you've pursued obviously your whole life up to this point. So that, that's awesome. It is. Yes, it is. And, um, you know, a 206, it's funny because I don't think of that as a small aircraft you know, <laughs> flying a J3 every day. I'm like, that's, that's a big airplane. I mean, it was a six seater. You had your yeah. entire family in it. I don't think of that as a small airplane, but no, you're right. I mean, as far as, you know, that's, that's starting off in a, in a well, pretty neat way. It, it, the other flights that I'd made were in you know, airliners, right? Of course, so yes. It was a small airplane for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. <laughs> anything else was just traveling from one place to another. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was an awesome experience. And um, so when I when I had to decide what I wanted to do, Dad's like, "You need to go to college." Uh, you know, while I was in high school, he's like, right. "You're probably gonna want to go to college." I'm like, "Okay." And uh, so in eleventh grade, start thinking about where you're going to go and what you're going to do, and really loved boats, thought I wanted to become a marine architect and design boats. But most of the adults that I knew at that time didn't like what they did for a living. It was like they were all living for weekends and holidays. And I thought, gee, I don't want that to happen to boats. I don't want it to just be work. You know, I just love it too much. And I really had a great interest uh, in aviation, but I didn't know a lot about it. And so um, I decided I'm going to go into aviation. I'm going to learn about flying and airplanes and aviation, and I'm going to keep boating as my fun thing on the side. So applied to FIT. Uh, I liked the the idea of the program they had and uh, was accepted. It's the only school I I applied to. It was like, that's where I want to go. And that's Florida Institute of Technology. Technology yeah. yeah. And uh, so I went there, spent four years there, and, and just learned a lot. 
And uh, I, I think I've probably used everything that I learned there and, and probably wished I'd paid more attention in some of the courses throughout my life, but it was a great foundation for me. Uh, of course, I never, at least up until now, I'll, I'll knock on wood, you can hear that. Uh, uh, have I still love flying. I don't get, I haven't become tired of it or, I mean, I just, just every aspect of it. And I still love boats too, but boats have kind of taken a backseat to flying because flying on the water is it's it's another level up in, in involvement and and excitement and fun yeah. from just being on a boat. Absolutely. So going through that education, you knew that aviation was going to be your career. Kind of take us through how did you start working? You know, with the drifter. I mean, obviously the air cam is the coolest thing, and I want to hear that story. So how did that progress? You getting into eventually the air cam on floats well, and seaplanes. Okay, so. Um, out of college, started looking for a, a job in aviation. At that time, the ultralight movement was pretty significant. It was right. it was um, it was a big big movement in the early '80s, and uh, I saw that and I thought, you know, it's real grassroots flying. It's pretty cool. Um, they could use some professionalism. That's what right. I thought. So maybe I'll I'll dabble in that a little bit, see how it goes. And so I applied. I looked at the different ultralights and there was a company called Max Air that was building the Hummer and the Drifter. And the Drifter in particular looked to be like a pretty good ultralight. And it was um, originally designed by Roy Pinner and, and Dennis Franklin uh, and based on the Hummer, which was a Klaus Hill design. So I, I, they hired me and I went to work for them and started doing sales and demo work. And uh, ultimately after a couple of years ended up being uh, in charge of all their marketing and sales and uh, and also worked with product development. So while I was there, a couple from uh, that, that were working in Namibia on a National Geographic special, which ultimately would become Survivors of the Skeleton Coast, uh, a cover story and a one-hour special uh, on National Geographic, they were looking for a way to get some air aerial surveillance and, and aerial camera platforms. And the Drifter made a really good camera platform because it was like the air camera was a tandem pusher. Right. And the front seat was really right out there in the open with great visibility. So they had tried some other types of aircraft. They couldn't really support them or they wouldn't work out there. And so sold them a couple of Drifters and then traveled to Namibia to help them get set up and get started. Actually taught Jen how to fly and checked her out in the in the air in the drifter. Des already had his license, so I just checked him out. He he learned to fly in a tiger moth. <laughs> a pretty cool guy. Um so uh worked with them and of course I always loved photography, always had an eye for light. And um my dad taught taught me to uh shoot thirty five millimeter when I was a kid and how to use a light meter and how to uh understand depth of field, how aperture affected depth of field and how to expose and use a light meter and, you know, get it, get it all. So working with them in, in uh, Namibia was a great treat um, because they were master photographers and filmmakers and, um, and they loved to aviate. And so uh, the two drifters worked really well there. Um, they were uh, working with uh, the desert elephants and those de desert elephants would roam 50 miles from one place to another where right. they would have food or water. And it was, of course, a vast, vast area. And so you, you, you were, it was very difficult to find them. They, they traveled in groups. 
and uh, without without aerial mm-hmm. an aerial platform. So uh, the the drifter allowed us to find them, figure out where they were headed, and then move ahead of them and land and set up a filming uh, and photography platform where we could film them going by. And of course, they were wild. So if they got the scent of a human, they would um, right. they would be very upset and they would they would head head in the opposite direction. Uh, so you had to be downwind and, uh, you know, you had to be set up just right. So all that had to be, if you had to be at, you know, you had to know what was going to happen. And, and, uh, so that enabled us to do that. It was, it was a great experience. Made a couple of trips over there to work with them. And, uh, and that and work I did with other, um, wildlife film photography teams from Survival Anglia and BBC, uh, really taught me that. I really enjoyed that work, um, but maybe I wanted a better platform that had some redundancy because they always wanted to fly low over stuff you couldn't land on. And I'd had engine failures, and Mm -hmm. fortunately my training at FIT taught me how to deal with that, and uh, so I was always able to put it down in a a good way. But uh, I... I think those those early engine failures and and the knowledge that it could occur really guided me in both wanting to become a Rotax expert and become, you know, better at making sure the engines didn't stop when you didn't want them to. And then also building a platform that could fly low over unlandable terrain uh, and offer that same filming platform. And I mean, that redundancy, obviously, starting off with those two engines. So the air cam going into that multi-engine and then putting the amphibs on it. Yep. Yep. You know, when we when we first designed the airplane, we didn't think about floats. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we had the drifter on floats early on when I was at Max Air, and that, that's what pushed me. Right, we're going to put this on floats. I better get a seaplane rating, and that right. sent me down to Browns and and uh, getting the seaplane rating in uh, around 1985. So, um, yeah, the the, uh, the thing that really pushed me into the, the air cam making it happen was uh, a group from the Congo came to me and, and they said, hey, we're, we want to do this research project in the Nindoki rainforest and uh, we want to get a drifter on floats. We want you to set it up, build it, equip it, and then help us do this. Right. And so I said, okay, you, you're going to, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a base on the Songa River and we'll we'll fly. There's no place to land there, so we'll fly off the Song River. I said, "Well, what are you going to be flying over?" They said, "Well, it'll be dense rainforest." Okay, um, how far will you be from the river? Oh, well, we'll be way away from the river, only for takeoff and landing. The rest of the time, we'll be over the rainforest. They said, "Okay, well, so what's the chance of rescue if you go down?" Oh, there's no chance of rescue. <laughs> yeah. You start no, raising no, your eyebrows at that. Nobody's going to come get you out there. It's you know. So I'm I'm thinking you know that's just not for me. I was uh, over thirty now, and and uh, when I hit thirty, I, I I started to realize that I was thinking mortal. a little bit different. You were mortal, <laughs> <laughs> and I I did. I started to take a more conservative approach sure. towards flying, and okay, you know, eh, you know, I don't want to do that. Sure. Um, and I told them about the air cam I had been working on. I showed them some of my drawings. And I thought, that's really cool. I said, can you, you know, we, we want the plane to be as light as possible if mm-hmm. we're going to be out over the rainforest all the time. Can you, can you find a strip? And they said, well, there's a little village there, Bomasa. We could probably clear maybe, how much do you need? And I said, well, we can probably operate out of 600 foot. <laughs> and they're like, I think we can, we can give you 600 foot. Right. So anyway, I built the first air cam for them. 
And uh, we disassembled it, shipped it over there, and uh, I flew off that 600-foot strip one way in, one way out over right. the Songo River. Wow. It was, a, it was a great experience. And the air cam, I mean, you have redundant electrical, redundant mm-hmm. fuel, redundant engines. Uh, and there's so much redundancy built into the aircraft because of that criteria that you kind of established for the airplane. Yep, and that plane that we had there, that first air cam, would operate on one engine pretty well. Fortunately, we we I was maintaining the engines really <laughs> well, and we didn't have any engine problems, and uh, so the whole thing really went quite well. And and when I came back from the second trip there, um, I said to myself, "Yeah, I want one of these. <laughs> I want one of these for myself." Uh, so, and I thought, you know, I bet. There are other people that are going to want this. This could be a kit plane. So we built a second prototype, very similar to the first one, AirCam 2. Took it to Sun and Fun in Oshkosh, and we had a pretty strong response from people. that People wanted one. And that's when we decided to go ahead and uh, and engineer it and, and fully engineer it and make it a kit. Wow, that, that became Gen 2, which was quite a bit different. We used what we learned from the first two. Yeah, and aircraft number one is hanging up in the EA Museum, correct? Yeah, that plane was recovered from the Congo years later, and uh, because it ended up sitting in a in a storage shed in in the middle of nowhere, right? So um, it was recovered from the Congo, uh, restored, and uh, the EAA uh, has it in the Air Museum now. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, I hope you can get some sense of Phil's amazing passion and literally problem solving ethic to go out and say, well, look, this doesn't, this isn't safe enough. This isn't the right tool for the job. I'm going to design a solution. And that's, I, that just summarizes my entire relationship with you is designing solutions to problems. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And I think, uh, you know, one, you mentioned getting your seaplane rating. I think that goes back to the genesis of a very little known fact to most people in the fact that Walt Disney actually operated seaplanes at one point. And not only did they operate seaplanes, but some of them even were aerobatic seaplanes. Yeah. So while I was at Max Air, we developed an aerobatic version of the Drifter, a single seater called the Rocket. It had a short wing and the structure was beefed up, and we had done static load testing to nine Gs. It was, uh, you know, it was a it was a neat little airplane. Um, and Disney purchased three of those, and they had a mono float because they were operating over the um, uh, the lagoon mm-hmm. at, at uh, Epcot. Epcot, right? Yeah. So their idea was we can operate single engine airplanes. If we have an engine problem, we can dead stick into the lagoon, and it'll be safe. And in that respect, it was it worked well. But they wanted to do uh, loops and rolls with the rockets, with the uh, monofloat. So we did some um, some engineering, and we determined that the structure was could take it. Uh, so we, we set them up with these monofloats, and they did formation loops and rolls in the show. Formation yeah. loops yeah, and they rolls three together. in an aerobatic ultralight seaplane. Yep, yep, yep. It was a, it was a cool show. Yep. <laughs> And I had the good fortune of seeing it. Of course, I never knew that many years later we would end up working together. And I would end up knowing pilots like Richard Johnson that actually flew in the show. So. Yeah, Richard, uh, Richard was there from the beginning in that show. And, and uh, he was operating the two-place drifter on floats. So that was the first purchase they made from us, a, a two-place drifter. 
I think it had puddle jumper floats on it, amphibious floats. And, uh, and then that led to the purchase of the two aerobatic rockets. Wow. What an amazing story. So again, just to reiterate, Walt Disney has operated seaplanes, and not only did they operate seaplanes, but they were aerobatic seaplanes doing formation loops and rolls in a seaplane. I have no idea. I just think that's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, right over the center of Epcot. Yeah, and I remember the show in the 80s. I was in the military at the time, and I would go there when I was on leave and watch the show and just be in amazement because they were putting hundreds of pounds of pyrotechnics and dropping things, streamers and uh, just all kinds of stuff, smoke from the airplanes. Yeah, it was a complicated show, a lot of coordination, but uh, it was fun to watch. Yeah, pretty incredible. And there's still remnants of an airport that Disney operated too, uh, close to the airport or close to the Epcot property. But um, definitely, yeah. So, Phil, you just have such an interesting story. And, you know, there's so, I know you have so many details and it's all just culminated into where you are now, you know, acting, um, you know, creating these air cams. And it's, it has quite a following now. Could you tell us how many you've sold? How many air cams you've sold? I think we're at about well three hundred now wow. uh, of the, of the air cams, and yeah, the people love them. It's it's great to see. I think that's been one of the best parts of developing it and and manufacturing it is the people that I've met and seeing how much they how much pleasure they gain from flying their air cams. Um, I mean, I've, I've had people come to me and say things like, I mean, one guy said, "Phil, I've I've had a lot of airplanes in my life." Um, this was Walt Fricky. He said, uh, I, I don't know exactly how many it's, but it's somewhere north of 50. Right. And he said, right about now, he said, the AirCam is the most fun airplane that I've ever had. So I thought that was pretty cool when he told me that. That's yeah. I always tell people that if you fly the AirCam, it ruins you. It ruins you. It just ruins <laughs> you because nothing else will ever fly. It, once you set your expectation for what the air game flies, like the performance, three-second, three-and-a-half-second takeoffs, land or water, single-engine takeoffs from water on fl- amphibious floats and climb out, um, you know, the, the flying that we've been able to do, uh, it just ruins you. It just it just ruins you because nothing else in your flying experiences will ever compare to the air game. Well, it's Sorry. all fun. That's kind of kind. Of, yeah, I, I want to qualify that. If you're going to uh, take off on one engine in a float plane, in an air cam on floats, it better be a light one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the ones that were on Murphy's uh, would do that with, yeah. with two people on board. Um, the Claymars, uh, yeah, that's that's a that's, so, a, tall that's a little ask. bit. It's yeah. a little bit more it's a bigger on, yeah. float. Yeah, but um, of course, the Claymar twenty one eighty has been a good match for the air cam, and they're probably. A, I don't know, six seventy air cams on Claymar twenty one eighties, I think. Yeah. Wow. And then there are there are five other floats that they're that they've been put on too. So it's, Yeah, full lotus. They were in the full lotus. There's full lotus, uh the um Montana's, the the uh, Murphy's, uh the um there's a, there was a set on Aerosets, uh and then also on the uh uh oh, can't remember the name. The guy out of uh, Sebring there. Well, yeah. The carbon one. One of those, uh, the Meads, yeah. The Meads. One, Mead. one that flew on Meads, but yeah. there's also another one that flew on um, another set of floats, yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And it, and it works on, you know, a wide variety of floats. They all need to be up around 2,000, 2,100 pound displacement. 
and again, a hallmark of my relationship and, and the way I've got to know you and your approach to the aircraft is just an insatiable appetite for innovation and improvement. Uh, when I, you know, the buzzword that I had in manufacturing was Kanai, you know, constant and never ending improvement. And no one that I've ever known has embodied that as much as you constant and never ending improvement. Well, you have to keep making them better, right? <laughs> Nothing's ever perfect. Exactly. Yeah. So, so both the, the customer uh, demand and expectations change over time and, and what you can do, you realize what you can do changes. So you're always trying to improve the product and we're still doing that now. Yeah, I know. I love that we've given you a backstory and you know, we, we know who you are now. It's honestly a whole other episode I know we've talked about the air cam before when Mark Twombly went through the training. I've gone through the training with Jason. And so that's a whole other episode to talk about, you know, the training that you all do in the MES yep. or the yeah. MES. Well, and the, the story behind how we were able to get that going. Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's there's about a dozen different Phil Lockwood episodes, I think. <laughs> so this we, is just introductory. Uh, yes. This is fantastic. So going into your, your role at the Seaplane Pilots Association as chairman, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned and where you see SPA going as it grows? Well, to to, to go back to the beginning, so a friend of mine, um, Henry Himmon, uh, asked me to come on board as a board member. And uh, so I agreed to do that, came on board. And, you know, it takes a year or two to really kind of uh, get used to the way the SPA operates, see what's possible mm-hmm learn how the board works. And so that was an interesting time for me, very interesting, uh, the, the first year. And, uh, of course, after my second year, there was a lot of instability, mm-hmm. um, and there were some some chain, major changes made. And then uh, Steve came on board, <laughs> and, uh, of course, that was, uh, I think the start of a, of a great time for SBA, what's been a great time. And, you know, one of the things that, that I would say right up front is the, um, uh, as a chairman, um, you know, your, your biggest job is not to screw things up. I think, uh, the executive director is the guy that's doing the work and the team like you, Abby here, you know, the people that are, that are really working it every day. And, and then the chairman is out there, you know, working the board and, and trying to make sure that things are going in the right direction. But uh, really for me, I think the biggest thing is trying to keep things stable and smooth and calm right. and, <laughs> and, you know, make sure that, that we're, uh, that we're headed in the right direction and that we have consistency. Cause that's something that we didn't have when I came on board. It was a lot of disruption, a lot of um, uh, unrest. Right. Um, and, and there were a lot of members that were unhappy mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's that's a big change that's taken place. Uh, so the stability, the long term stability. Of course, there are a lot of things that are that are that are going on that are really good. Um, back then, we had uh, a steady decline in our membership, which was very concerning for many of the board members, sure. uh, and we just didn't know how to stop it. And uh, of course, a, a lot of it was due to the fact that many of our members were. Um, were timing out age wise. Right. right? And they just either weren't able to fly anymore or they were even worse passing away. Um, so, uh, fortunately that's one of the things that we've been able to do is stabilize that. And, uh, now actually see a a small increase in our membership numbers. Yeah. Uh, air venture really helped us a lot this year. I was just going to say that, you know, the record we had for new members, renewed members. Yeah. 30% over our previous record almost. So that's tremendous. 
So that's been uh, that's been good to see. And then, of course, all the other things that have been going on, uh, <laughs> which which um, which are great. I mean, uh, uh, the show, the air show presence has been superb. Uh, much much stepped up going to shows that we wouldn't have gone to before mm-hmm. uh, all the safety seminars um, and and uh, of course the magazine has been off the charts good oh. I mean I, I think uh, and it's a team you know it's a team effort I see the team working together and all the things that are being done and I'm I'm quite proud I'm happy but again for me all I have to do is not screw it up <laughs> you know because uh it's it's the people uh, here that I'm working with today that are that are making it all happen and and I think that uh we've done a great job of putting together a good board yeah. uh, I think it's it's probably the best board that SBA has ever had. And, and SBA's had some great board members, don't get me wrong. Very historic years. people. Yeah, J.J. Yeah. Fry. J. J. Fry, and, yeah. yeah. What a, what a, I mean, that guy, uh, I don't know if you've done a podcast with him. but Or going to. You need to because, yeah. He, yeah, he's an amazing uh, fellow. And of course, he was very helpful to me um, while he was on the board as I was learning about SBA and learning about, you know, what the board could do and but uh, yeah, we've got some great board members. I'm not going to go into all the individual board members, uh, but very diverse, uh, and and they have a lot of experience. And I think when we have board me- meetings, I I'm really happy to see and hear the input that they come up with, based on their experience, knowledge, and intelligence. Yeah, I'm really happy with the composition of the board right now. I think that we have the. You know, when I look back at SPA's history, again, we've had some very amazing people on the mm-hmm. board. But right now we have the best diversity of industry presence mm-hmm. uh, and also geographic presence. Yep. And and even including the largest regional seaplane uh, associations on the board as yep. well. Uh, so I'm very proud, I think. And, and there's great cohesiveness amongst the board. Um, I am getting... You know, with every passing month, more energy and more time out of the board members, um, which, again, I don't think was that really that present in, in the early days. You know, there were little high, high times uh, here and there, but, uh, but it, no, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great board. Um, and, 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 and also geographically, as you mentioned, you know, you've got people from Florida all, to Alaska, yeah, all over the country. <laughs> and there was a time when it was kind of becoming uh, a lot of Southeastern board members. Right. And not, that's not the case anymore. So that's great to see. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I've enjoyed the, my time on the board and uh, the time I've spent as chairman. It's been uh, it's been a great experience for me and uh, quite a privilege to be able to serve in that position. Uh, and I'm happy to see the things that have been accomplished uh, during that time um, through through the the, the mem- through the hard work uh, of our team. Um, but um, you know the, the uh, all the safety seminars that you're doing too, and the way we've attacked uh, invasive species, which has really come during my time, uh, and how many of the board members have been through invasive species training specifically, so that we are really knowledgeable about what the problem is and what we can do to to stop it uh so that that's uh, also been a challenge and then this um this new um deal where we're taking on lifetime members uh <laughs> boy that that has been a super successful program not only 
successful financially for SPA, but also uh, it really shows how happy people are to be members. How passionate they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I just don't get comments uh, from people that are unhappy. Uh, I mean, and that wasn't the case in the beginning, right? <laughs> so I think uh, we have a lot of happy members right now, and, and I think a lot of them realize how much SPA is able to do for such a small organization. Yeah, I think that's been the humbling part for me is what a tremendous sense of responsibility there is to the members to give them as much as you can give. I mean, that's how I approach it. And I've enjoyed working with you from that standpoint because as a chairman of the board and the executive director working together, you know, when we come to the table, it's how can we do more for the members? And and we have an obligation to do more for the members. And there's this constant struggle of there's not enough labor, there's not a lot, not enough money, but we're always trying to overcome, you know, that barrier and, and how do we do more? And especially in the last two years with more and more volunteers coming on board mm-hmm. um, and we're always going to need more volunteers. So if you're listening to the episode, you know, we need more volunteers to help us do more for the members and more for the community where we have an, again, an unsatiable, unsatisfiable appetite for labor and, well, and for resources. Field directors too. The field director yeah. program has really come a long, uh, long way. That, that was a program that was really wanting uh, to be, uh, to, to really be managed and pushed. Yeah. And uh, so I'm great. To, it's great to see the improvements there. But it's good to see the board taking on stuff like the invasive species where you guys are actually going, you know, to the training um, and and actually immersing yourself for three or four days at a time. And, you know, in the desert out at Lake Mead, where you're proactively inspecting boats and we're doing decontamination of seaplanes and you're going through classes on it and really getting an understanding of what we're faced with as far as the regulatory challenges but also the environmental challenges of being the good stewards and there's just no way about it seaplane pilots must lead the way on stewardship if we're going to maintain access and it was important for the board to buy into that Mm -hmm. because without that buy-in um you know it it really changes the landscape of how effective we're going to be from an advocacy standpoint. Sure, sure. Right, and advocacy t- c- continues to be one of the main, uh, one of the most important things that we do uh, because there's always a lake that's someone's trying to close to seaplanes for the wrong reasons. Um, and there are so many people that just don't understand. They're just, they're, sca- they're scared of having seaplanes operate on the lake, but they don't realize that, it's 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 typically not a problem. It's not an issue compared with the number of boats that are out there. Uh, so I I I think that that's something that will go on forever as being one of the most important things SPA does is keep waterways open so that pilots can land uh, on these waterways and and that's something that's at risk every day. It is. It literally, as Abby knows, because she sits here in here in the office and listens to the phone ring and, and the conversations that I'm having on a daily basis. Uh, you know, um, we just I was dealing with uh, one of our field director managers uh, yesterday on um, on a member that had had an issue with a game officer uh, for coming up on a, a boat ramp in a lake that was opened. 
and the lake does have restrictions, but there are no restrictions on operating on boat ramps. And he was given a citation for that. And so we're addressing that now, trying to work with all the powers that be to try to resolve it in a, in a peaceful and a, and a well-understood manner. So um, I also want to let the, the members know that you, you know, from the get-go have also been uh, an active donor, which is really important for the board members. Um, Mary and I have been active donors to the association the whole time before I was executive director. And um, people need to realize that it's not just membership dollars. It's the philanthropic side of what we do with the foundation, with the scholarship and the safety programs, which are largely funded by philanthropic activities. And managing an organization with only 5,000 plus members is very difficult at $59 a year. And a big part of the component of our future to to amplify our advocacy efforts and our ability to do invasive species studies like we're doing uh, right now with U.S. Fish and Wildlife is we need financial resources. And so I'd like to thank you for your proactive approach as far as um, supporting through donations as well. Well, and, and I, you know, you and I think alike on that. We we understand, both understand how important it is to the future of SPA and the foundation that that we can figure out how to get more donations and and uh, and and enable us to do more right so uh, that's that's an important component and uh, I think we're headed in, we're headed in the right direction yeah yeah I think so any last thoughts of what you see or would like to see from SPA in the future uh, you know I, I think that uh, the changes that I've seen over the last couple of years are, are great and I, I think uh, it's just it's it's really been uh, a lot of fun to to be a part of that uh to see the new website come on board uh to to continue to see the the magazine and the content so strong uh to see the um uh the scholarship program uh so we we were getting involved with youth i mean those are all things that are that are really good for for the for the uh, uh for float flying so it's 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 been uh it's been a great experience i've i've enjoyed it uh, and um, hope to continue to uh, to help the the uh, SBA and the foundation in the future. Very good, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's great, great to be here. Great to see both of you, and uh, keep up the good work. But you, know, <laughs> you guys are doing a fantastic job. We're sure going to try. So, Phil, I'd like to thank you again for flying up here on a Saturday morning to do this podcast. You're literally just returning from yet another trade show. You've already, we've just got back from AirVenture, and you've already been at another trade show uh, in between that time. So thanks for literally jumping off of one airplane, returning from an event, and uh, flying back up here today to uh, do the podcast. I hope the listeners have enjoyed this, what I think is a very informative and insightful episode of Water Flying, and I hope we'll have you back. Like I said, I think we have at least 12 more episodes to do with you because there's so much to your story. But uh, until then, we hope you've enjoyed Phil Lockwood, the chairman of the SPA board and the foundation board in this discussion. And until next week, thank you for joining us. Clear skies and calm waters. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association. 
and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.